0: Well, it's good to be back with you all again this evening. My name is Liz, and I am the rector uh, of Incarnation Anglican Church, and we're in week two of a series which we're calling Hey God, a series on prayer, conversations that we want to have that'll get us ready for the fall as well as we uh, amble through this rather strange season at the moment. Now kids, if you're still listening to me, uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about today is our feelings. And I guess you all have lots and lots of feelings that you might want to share with your family or your friends from time to time. But I wonder what kind of feelings you have when you approach God or when you think about God. And maybe you could right now either write a poem or draw a picture or make an amazing Lego's construction, which shows something of the way that you feel when you come into God's presence, when you think about prayer, when you think about talking to God. And for the rest of you, well, last week we began using this acronym from um, Pete Gregg's book, Pray, P-R-A-Y. And the first week was pause, P is for pause. And I encouraged you last week to take time to pause, to take time to simply be in God's presence without saying anything just to be quiet. I suggested that it could be like an adventure, like stepping out of a dusty wardrobe into Narnia, just trying to imagine that this is going to be something special and different. I then also asked you to take note of what emotions arose in you as you were being quiet. And I think three of the ones which I suggested last week is you could be bored, you could fall asleep, or you could cry. Okay, those clearly were the three top of my list. Maybe yours are a little different when you come to thinking about being quiet before God. But they were some of the things which I had thought about. Next week, Amy is going to take us to the A is for Ask, and so today we're in this R, which Pete Greg calls Rejoice. Well, I thought about that for a while, and I thought, Gosh, I wonder how often I actually begin praying with rejoicing. And I've been reading a book, of course. Um, called Permission to Feel by Mark Brackett and he has these really interesting ways of talking about feeling and there's this thing called a mood meter and I'm all of you some of you who are in the chapel I've given you a copy of this but what this is it's a it's a map of like a hundred emotions And he is what's called an emotion scientist. And he is inviting people, children in particular. He trains schools about how to talk about your emotions, how to develop a little bit more emotional intelligence. And I was looking at these, and I was thinking, gosh, I wonder wonder how many of these I actually express to God. Are any of them unacceptable? Is it not okay to come to God when I'm feeling enraged or livid? or carefree, or miserable. And of course, that's not the case. It's always okay to come to God. So what we're gonna talk about a little bit today is how we bring all our emotions to God. So it's not that we're gonna go straight from, hey God, that's lovely. Hey God, that's beautiful. Hey God, you're so creative. Because sometimes, that's not where we start. Sometimes we begin with, Hey God, I'm feeling really lonely. Hey God, this pandemic is lasting far too long. Hey God, the res- racism in our country is sickening me. Hey God, our political system is toxic. Hey God, my best friends got COVID. Hey God, My grandmother is in a care home, and I can't see her. What about all of those emotions and feelings? How are you bringing those to God at the moment? So what I did was I also then turned the lectionary upside down, and I went for two of the most miserable passages I could find. So the first one was Lamentations chapter 1, which you heard read a few minutes ago, and then I sort of thought of Psalm 22, Again, quite a well-known psalm, but one which comes out of the depths of deep anguish. And you might want to pick up and turn to Lamentations right now. And if you look at, if you haven't been there for a while, it comes immediately after Jeremiah. And so it's just sort of in the, just past halfway in your Bible. Lamentations was written by Jeremiah after the exile. Now, about... Four or five weeks ago, Amy preached a wonderful sermon called The Fire in the Bones, or Fire in the Bones, which was all about Jeremiah prophesying that the exile was going to come and calling the people to repent of their ways. And he was lamenting then as well. Jeremiah is often called the weeping prophet because he's so jolly miserable the whole time. But he was weeping over Jerusalem and saying, Don't you see? Don't you see what's coming down the road? Don't you see what's about to happen? And so then, in Lamentations, it's after the Babylonians have come in and they've taken people captive. And to be honest, they've been pretty awful. Um, But the people actually have got what God had said they would encounter. He'd held out to them, essentially, a blessing and a curse. And he said, if you follow me, if you follow me, I will bless you. But if you don't, these are the consequences that you're going to reap. And to be honest, it's a little bit like, um, you know, uh, you see parents doing it all the time. You have to let children sometimes reap the consequences of their actions. And so much of our lives are spent working out how we're going to behave and then seeing what happens next. And to be honest, all the time, we're just wanting God to make the bad things go away, but sometimes they're things that we have deliberately stepped into. And the Jebusites, the people who live in Jerusalem, had drifted, 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 more and more into apostasy. They had worshipped false gods. They had lied to their neighbors. And now we see them with starving mothers reduced to cannibalism, wholesale slaughter, the destruction of the temple, the end of worship as they had known it. And Jeremiah invites them to lament. Hey God, this is awful. It's a mess. It's terrible. It might be deserved, but it's where we are, and it's awful. And Jeremiah takes some time to tell God all his feelings. He laments. lovely, very helpful book called Prophetic Lament by Sung Chan Rao, and he talks about lament as a liturgical response to the reality of suffering that engages God in the context of that pain and suffering. But having done that, having begun to pour out his pain in chapters 1 and 2, suddenly, in the middle of chapter 3, in verse 22, comes this verse. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Okay, stick your hands up. Who could immediately sing that? Okay, I bet absolutely all of us could sing it. The third fast, okay, I won't sing. It's not, not that special a day. But I bet you know it, because it's a song which we know so well. And to be honest, that's something in the church that we do really well. We're very good at singing about how happy we are, and how good God is, and his faithfulness, and his joy. You can hum it while I'm pre- preaching now. But do you know there are 154 verses in Lamentations? And these are the two that we sing. The rest we tend to gloss over because they are so miserable. And the same thing happens in Psalm 22. There's a long, 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 long piece of misery until the psalmist turns at the end. What I want to suggest to you today is that if Jeremiah had simply started His book, With the Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases. Those verses would somehow not have held the same resonance, the same richness, the same beauty. It's because we know that they come out of deep, deep pain that actually it makes them more than just a hummable tune. It makes them deeply, deeply moving. The words from Jeremiah are powerful, because he's asserting in the midst of so much pain that God's character is steadfast, that God's character is merciful, that God's character is to renew hope every single morning. And God's goodness becomes so bright because Jeremiah's situation is so very, very dark. And Jeremiah knows that God already knows what's going on. Jeremiah knows that even as he weeps, God weeps. There's this moment when we have to realize that when we head towards God with all our emotions, he knows them in advance. And as he welcomes us into his arms to comfort us, he doesn't necessarily make it all right straight away, but he says that I am weeping with you. He weeps at the evil in the world. He weeps at the injustice of the world. And when we lament or bring our sad emotions to God, He knows them. He created them. And that's what they're for. Our emotions are there in order that we can begin to understand more of what is going on in this world. And really, in terms of lament in particular, this is where we could learn so much as a predominantly white church from the black church in our neighborhood They have developed a much more robust way of lamenting. They're much more open to lamenting. But what I want to invite you to do today, then, is to think about what happens to your emotions as you do crawl into God's arms with them, with your sadness or your rage or your joy or your delight or your anger. Think about this little mood meter and think about all the hundred ways you might be feeling as you come to God. One of the things that this got me thinking about was a little tiny amount of color theory I learnt once. And this idea that colors change their hue as they come against other colors, and that something looks a little different when you put it into a different shade. And I thought, what about if I bring my dark red anxiety next to God's comfort, next to God's steadiness, next to His steadfastness? next to his courage, next to his availability. It's almost like the anxiety begins to change hue. And ultimately, some will become stronger, some colors will become stronger, and some will begin to fade. Some will lose some of their brilliance, some of their power over us or in us. And hopefully, at the end of that, as you bring your emotional space into God's space, you will begin to also recognize joy. And this, this will be a place where you can find joy, because you can remember that he is faithful. And the joy that I think that comes out of all this emotional work is kind of like a gut joy. As I was writing the sermon, I decided to play cello music the whole way through because cello music makes me cry and cello kind of comes from down here. I feel like violin touches me here, but cello is kind of like, oh gosh, the pain, because it comes in so deeply. And What I'm inviting you into today is kind of cello pain, that sense of having your gut move towards God. And so this week... What is the invitation? Well, first of all, to hold on to the pause, to keep remembering to take those moments of just quiet. No words, okay? No words in the pause. You just sit there. You can invite the Holy Spirit in. All right, those are the only words you're allowed. Come Holy Spirit, come Lord Jesus, come Heavenly Father, will you be with me? But then be quiet. And then take note. Do you have an emotional response to being in God's presence? Don't, you could analyze it. You could say, oh gosh, I'm feeling really mad because of X, Y, Z. But why not just recognize the emotion to begin with? And then move towards God and say, God, will you hold me and my anger? Will you hold me and my tears? Will you hold me in my delight, my joy? Naming them is kind of helpful. So I'd encourage you to maybe even print this out. I'm going to put a copy of it in the chat box. Um, And get used to naming your emotions because it's actually an emotionally healthy thing to do to be able to name them. And then you'll be able to bring them into God's presence. And you can begin to speak. I'll allow you to use a few words this week to say, hey, God, will you help me look at my anger right now? Will you help me look at my sadness? And then look at him, and look at him who holds the answer to all our grief, our despair, our doubts about the world, and you could begin to pray, our Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then deliberately, perhaps, take some time to articulate the attributes of God which counterbalance your emotional response to the world around you. You could perhaps say, hey God, I thank you that you will judge the wicked. I thank you that you do know and understand. I thank you that you care about the poor, the downtrodden, the neglected. Hey God, I thank you that you are kind and faithful when we are unkind and unfaithful. Hey God, I thank you that you are steadfast when we feel really wobbly. I thank you that you are creative when we are destructive. God made our emotional spectrum, so none of our emotions are out of bounds. It's God's very stability that undergirds who we are and how we feel. And authentic worship involves being honest about who we are and where we are coming from. There is a certain attitude which says we have to look and feel and sound a certain way when we pray. Will you throw that out of the window this week? Will you just not feel like you have to sit with your hands folded and your head bowed? You can rant, you can throw things, you can do whatever you like. Just let God know exactly how it is you're feeling. And then I hope that you'll get to a point of rejoicing, but don't worry if you don't. Let's take a moment now to be quiet, and maybe you'll want to fill in, hey, God, and put in your own exclamation. Perhaps to tell him a little bit about how you are feeling. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you know us, that you've made us, that you hear us and that you're not remotely phased or alarmed by any of our emotions. We thank you for all the ways that you comfort, hold, lead, guide, shelter us and I pray for my brothers and sisters when you hold their emotions. Amen.